Hello and welcome to the What Are We Even Doing Here podcast, a podcast that seeks to answer the question of what are we even doing here from a biblical perspective. We are part of the Christian Podcast Community. Check out this and many other great podcasts at christianpodcastcommunity.org. My name is Daryl and the word of God says from Acts 15, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no dissension and debate with them, no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversation of the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by, repl- by placing a yoke on the necks of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with these words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them and abstain from the thing to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. And I will stop there. But that is a mouthful. That was a lot that I've read, probably the most longest passage I've read on this podcast. But it is an important passage, especially of what the the thing we're going to discuss today, me and my guest. So without further ado, I will bring on my guest. It is none other than Pastor... Ben Glasser. How are you doing, Ben? I, I, doing I, I, quite well. How are I, you doing this evening? I'm doing great. I'm, it's great to have you on. Uh, I've been thinking of, of who I can have on to discuss this topic, and I've heard you on PresbyCast before talking about being Presbyterian and why it's important. But a distinctive of pres- being a Presbyterian is our form of church government. And I've come to believe over time that it is the most biblical form of church government. So we're going to discuss church government tonight. But before we get into that, we're going to have the audience get to know who you are just a little bit. 
because I don't know if they're familiar with you. I'm, I'm sure, you know, the, the small amount of people that listen to my podcast probably listen to Presbycast as well. And I've heard you on there. Uh, but so, uh, Pastor Ben, just, just tell a little bit about yourself, where you're from and, uh, your, 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 your call in life as a pastor. Sure. Well, I appreciate you having me on. I always enjoy talking about Presbyterianism. It, um, doesn't get talked about enough in kind of broad church circles, uh, the importance mm-hmm. of church government and why it matters. So appreciate you letting me opine on a little bit. But uh, my background, I was born and raised in the old PCUS in West Virginia. Uh, mm-hmm. My mom's family has been in uh, what's now West Virginia since the 1740s. We were some of the first white settlers across the Allegheny Mountains. And we founded uh, the Old Stone Presbyterian Church, which is the oldest continuing Presbyterian church west of the Allegheny Mountains. And uh, I have generations buried in the cemetery there at Old Stone. And I was, matter of fact, the last of my line to be baptized at Old Stone Presbyterian Church. Hmm. And uh, there's a reason why I was the last to be baptized. Uh, that's because, as uh, most of y'all know, in the early 80s, the uh, PCUS, the Old Southern Church, was uh, forcefully merged with the Northern Presbyterian Church, uh, the church that uh, J. Gresson Machen had broken off of about you know 50 some odd years before, uh, a church uh, that had already begun to be apostate. Uh, but you know, I remember hearing my dad come back from those meetings. Uh, where the Presbytery of the Greenbrier, which was the Presbytery of uh, the PCUS that we were in, and the Presbytery of West of Kanawha, which was the Presbytery uh, that covered the northern churches of West Virginia. And I remember my dad coming back from those meetings frustrated, uh, angry, and resigned to the fact that uh, this was a done deal, that there was just nothing that was going to stop this merger. And I remember my dad saying when I was four or five years old, that within 10 years, the PCUS would cease to exist. And I'm not even sure it took that long for the PCUS to cease to exist. Now, of course, PCUS had its own problems. Of course, PCA had broken off from the PCUS about 10 years before uh, the merger, um, and for good reason. But, you know, the PCUS still had some pretty sound, you know, functioning churches within it. And the merger really killed any hope of biblical fidelity uh, within those churches that had stayed in the PCUS. And, you know, we've seen not just a general decline, but a uh, a speed run uh, down the slippery slope uh, in the PCUSA. So I was, that's kind of the ecclesial context I was born into. And, you know, my dad and my mom, very active in the church. Uh, I'll, I'll get to my mom here in a second. But the uh, my, you know, parents both very involved in the church growing up. You know, if the doors were open, we were there, no question about it. I didn't miss a Sunday for anything uh, until I was a little bit older. But um, you know, growing up in West Virginia at the time, you know, you know, Presbyterians you know, kind of fit in a strange socioeconomic uh, category. You know, the old saying was is that uh, the Episcopalians owned the mine. The Presbyterians ran the mine, uh, the Mount, uh, the Methodists worked in the mine, and the Baptists wished they worked in the mine. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, but the funny thing was, is, you know, 
I didn't grow up in that kind of stratus. You know, I was lower, lower middle class. Uh, my dad was an electrician. Uh, we moved around a bunch when I was a kid, uh, and, and I loved that to death. My sisters hated it, but I loved moving around. Um, you know, it kind of taught me a little bit how to how to make friends quickly, how to how to kind of involve myself in things, uh, whether I, I was wanted to be involved or not. But uh, you know, as I was growing up and as I was uh, maturing in in various ways, uh, one place I was not maturing was in the faith. Yeah, I, yeah. As I got into high school age, I I really started, you know, backsliding, you know, away from any identifiable faith that I had. Now I was still going to church. I was still involved in youth group. I was still going through the motions. And if you'd asked me when I was sixteen whether I was a Christian or not, there's a hundred percent chance I would have said yes. Uh, but with the 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 blessings of providential hindsight, I know better. Uh, and my grades in school reflected my interest uh, in spiritual things. Uh, and so by the time I graduated high school, yeah, I was, uh, I was not destined to do much anything, but work at snowshoe mountain ski resort. Uh, and I was pretty happy about that. That was, that was, uh, definitely a goal of mine when I was 17 and 18 years old was to get hired on full time at the ski resort and just hang out up on the mountain for the rest of my life. Uh, but thankfully the good Lord had other plans for, for me. And, uh, you know, during my senior high school, the Marine Corps recruiter called me and asked me to come to the house and I wasn't doing anything. So I told him to come over. And of course, next thing I know, I'm in Paris Island, South Carolina, um, standing on yellow footprints and, uh, was blessed to serve in the United States Marine Corps for four years. Um, you know, unfortunately those four years were, uh, you know, marked by more, uh, decline uh, in any kind of recognizable faith. Yeah, you know, I, I engaged in all the sin natural uh, to man uh, when I was in the Marines. And, you know, one of the things the Lord in his providence used to protect me from myself in the midst of that is uh, when I was in Japan, uh, my last year in the Marine Corps, I was in Ikuni, Japan. Um, you know, we had a lot of downtime uh, because this was right after 9-11. Uh, we were locked on base. You know, we really couldn't do anything. Uh, we were kind of, you know, tucked into our uh, barracks. Uh, and so I just started reading books in the library. And, you know, if you ask me a million times, I have no idea how this happened. But somehow I got a hold of St. Augustine's Confession, uh, which is about the most perfect book that a wayward 21-year-old kid <laughs> can read. Um, at the time it didn't really have much effect on me, but you know, there were seeds that were planted when I read that, you know, I, you know, one of the things about that, you know, you know, is the fact that, you know, my mom had not ceased praying for her, a wayward son. Mm. And, uh, you know, the Lord was, was starting to work in my heart, starting to convict me of, uh, of sin, starting to kind of break down a little bit. Now, you know, I wasn't converted at that point. But there was definitely a work of the spirit uh, beginning, especially, you know, like I said, with the benefit of hindsight. Well, one of the things I did in the Marine Corps is I played soccer for the uh, Marine Corps. And, um, you know, I had a very high opinion of my abilities <laughs> to play soccer at the time. And so my goal was to get out of the Marine Corps, find somewhere to play soccer in college, and then 
you know, wherever that led and whatever uh, that brought forward, it would be a bless, blessing. Well, right before I went to Japan, I had had a scholarship offer from George Mason University in Virginia. Well, while I was in Japan, I uh, got noticed that the coach had left or got fired. I never did really find out what happened. Well, uh, with that, my scholarship went up in smoke. And so here I am in Japan. Uh, the Marine Corps is not real big on letting me fly back to the States to go to camps and tryouts and things like that. Um, and so I'm just sending out random letters to colleges all over the East Coast, uh, just kind of begging, pleading, let me let me come, you know, be on your roster. You know, you don't have to give me scholarship. Just give me a preferred walk on something. Well, the only school that I heard back from was uh, Shawnee State University in Portsmouth, <laughs> Ohio. And I, I had, knew nothing about the school, had never been to Portsmouth, Ohio, uh, didn't care. <laughs> they were going to let me play soccer. So I got out of the Marine Corps July 24th, uh, 2002, uh, and moved on campus for the first time, seeing it in the flesh, uh, on August 3rd, 2002. Within two days of being on campus, uh, I met uh, the woman who is now my wife. And uh, if there's anything that, that proves the blessings of God's providence, it's that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the amount of things that had to take place for me to meet my wife in Portsmouth, Ohio in August 2002 is just you know, immense. Um, but I still wasn't a Christian. You know, still, still wasn't a believer. But, you know, the Lord was was certainly showing me some common grace in the midst of this. Well, about three months after that, you know, I had gotten a work study job through the Veterans Administration on campus. And, you know, I was filing paperwork and uh, they let us listen to uh, it little uh, MP3 player, you know, you know, back in the old days, his little, mm. it, little MP3s. Yep. And uh, somehow, again, I don't know how this happened. I got listening to uh, Ian Paisley. Uh, you know, Northern Irish, uh, fire breathing, you know, free Presbyterian, you know, wonderful man of God. Well, you know, somehow, again, the Lord's work in this, I ended up listening to a sermon called 60 Minutes to Go. And that was the means, the instrument that the Lord used to convict me fully of my sin and my, and show me as clear as possible my need for Jesus Christ. And his grace and his love and his forgiveness of sin and, and the whole shebang. And for me, the call to ministry was like that. I mean, it was pretty immediate after I was converted uh, that, you know, the Lord was calling me to ministry and the Lord was um, you know, moving that way. But, you know, like most people, I had no idea what that meant, mm-hmm. um, especially in the context of, of the PCUSA. Um, cause I didn't know the biblical gospel, uh, in, in, in a, in a full sense. Uh, I certainly wasn't hearing it, uh, from the pulpit on, on the Lord's day. In fact, my minister at the time tried to talk me out of my conversion. Um, he, he basically <laughs> told me that I was having a nervous breakdown. School was too much. Soccer was too much. My fiance was too much. And that I, I, I had fallen into this. This spiritual experience, and it wasn't healthy, and I needed to take some time. That's crazy. Um, I mean, it really is. I mean, I I think back about that. I mean, it was certainly demonic. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and I don't. I don't think. I don't think 
he meant it that way. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's just you know when you think about a denomination and, and a local church that is so gone, far gone from the biblical gospel that when they're presented with the biblical gospel, it sounds crazy. Mm. Uh, I mean, there's there's a reason why Paul writes what he does in First Corinthians one. You know, it's foolishness uh, to those who are perishing. Yeah, and you know, so, but again, I'm gonna I'm gonna go into ministry in the PCUSA because, you know, I, I mean, one of the things about West Virginia is that I mean, there's just no confessionally reformed churches in the state. There's probably six or seven in the whole in the whole state, and certainly not ones I would have ever come in contact with. And you know, to make a long story short. Yeah, we had moved to Pittsburgh, and I graduated from University of Pittsburgh and uh, was going to Pittsburgh Theological Seminary, the PCUSA Seminary there in Pittsburgh, and I had you know, what the Pentecostals would call a second blessing and uh, uh, was, was kind of reconverted uh, to Reformed theology. Uh, and again, God's providence, the uh, Reformed Presbyterian Theological Seminary is also in Pittsburgh, the seminary of the RPCNA. Mm-hmm. And they took me in and cleaned me up, nice. uh, got me, you know, kind of focused on the on the good stuff. Uh, you know, I kind of learned the confession of faith uh, via fire hose mm. <laughs> there at RPTS. And nice. um, through some other providences, I ended up uh, attending an ARP church there in Pittsburgh, uh, which is how I got into ARP and came under care, was licensed and ordained in 2010. Uh, where I received my first call uh, to uh, Ellisville Presbyterian Church in Ellisville, Mississippi, uh, where we were for about seven years. And then we've been here in Clover, South Carolina at Bethany ARP since uh, November of 2017. Nice. So when I want to backtrack a little bit, when you had had your conversion, you came to the Lord, was your wife a Christian at the time? No, no. In fact, you know, that was... You know, we kind of walked that that Romans road together. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, you know, I, I've, I've never been one to to take things uh, slowly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've, yeah. No matter what I'm doing, I'm I'm in it to win it. Yep. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I she she kind of had to calm me down a little bit. Um, but through all that, you know, she came mm-hmm. to faith as well. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was it was a blessed time, and certainly some I look back to fondly. Yeah, that that very similar to to me. I came to faith before my wife, but it was it was over. Um, like basically, our marriage was was on the rocks, almost getting divorced. And uh, I told this story before on here, but uh, I'll just give you the short version. Uh, some a friend of mine gave me the movie Fireproof, and I always say Kirk oh, Cam- yeah. Kirk Cameron was used to bring me to the Lord, Thanks. but. But it's it's very similar. As soon as I I came to the Lord, this was uh, it'll be ten years ago this August. Um, I, I felt the call into ministry, but but my whole like, I, I was a fitness uh, person at the time. I was a personal trainer, so I used to you know use social media to post about like fitness and you know inspirational stuff that way. But after I came to the Lord, everything changed, and I was posting scripture. And it was just like, yeah, I was all in and I was still all in. And it took, it was about two years later, you know, uh, that my wife came to the Lord. So it was uh, uh, just yeah, very similar. Like, and, and uh, so I'm still working towards ministry, 
right now, but I figure uh, I'm going to keep using all the outlets I have to share the gospel with people and in, encourage the saints. Uh, but I just, um, you, you can pray for me over the, the next probably eight years because uh, I start this summer the Westminster online program in uh, okay. Philadelphia. Well, so, <laughs> so, so keep praying for that. But uh, yeah, so so yeah, when I got saved, I, I grew up Roman Catholic. And, you know, Roman Catholicism has like the Pope and, you know, the Cardinals and all that. I don't know exactly how their their structure of church government work. But then I, I go to a, a Christian Missionary Alliance church and I didn't know anything about church government. And no one there is really saying anything about church government. I don't even think right. the church that I was at had elders. And then as I'm as I'm growing in faith and reading and seeing in scripture and, and getting around other uh, godly brothers, they, they start talking about oh, well, we should have elders in this church because they've been reading about it. And so eventually I left and went to another church that was non-denominational and they had a form of church government, but it was mainly a pastor and then deacons, the deacon board. So I was like, all right, well, at least there's some kind of structure of church government. But then again, as I'm getting more convicted over reformed theology, and then we, we eventually left that church and found our OPC church that we're currently at. And now I love the structure of church government in, in the Presbyterian church, the Orthodox Presbyterian church and where there's, you know, you have your session of elders and we also have, you know, the, the deacons as uh, ordained the, uh, the two offices and then, but then there's presbytery and then there's the, the general assembly. And I, that's probably how your church government is structured too in the ARP. So, a lot of our listeners may not even know what church government is. You know, a lot of Christians don't, which is a sad thing that they just, you know, get saved and they're in like maybe a general evangelical church that doesn't have a structure or it's some kind of structure or it's that pastor deacon structure. But what, just in general, give us a definition of, of church government. Well, church government is really no different than, you know, what we see in the, in the civil sphere or civil realm or, you know, the civil government, however you want to phrase that, you know, there is a natural order, you know, that we see borne out, you know, in natural law, you know, that kind of just naturally happens. You know, there's hierarchies, and men need to figure out how to uh, organize themselves, how to protect themselves, and how to provide uh, for themselves. And so, you know, government is it's natural to who we are as human beings. And so it makes sense, just from a logical standpoint, that the that the church, you know, which is uh, you know an organism made up of individuals, you know, would have a, a set structure to it. You know, one of the things I always like to you know think about when we think about church government specifically, especially as Presbyterians, is you know we understand you know that with, with baptism and the Lord's Supper that. While the form may have changed between the old and the new covenants, right? The the substance, you know, hasn't changed, right? You know, mm-hmm. we think about you know you know circumcision and baptism and the uh, the, the initiatory rite and the, the sign and the promise and all that kind of stuff. Well, you know, when it comes to the organization of the church, well, you know, Jesus when he was establishing things wasn't interested in reinventing the wheel, so to speak, right? So you see the a movement from the old covenant to the new covenant church, and and you see elements in the old covenant church that continue into the new covenant. So, you know, one of the illustrations I always like to use is 
you, know, you go back to a law, you know, a judicial law in the Old Testament, right? If your you know kid, uh, you know your adult kid is being disrespectful and misbehaving and all that stuff, right? Um, you know the penalty was death for the for the child, right? But it wasn't it wasn't as simple as that. Right? There was a process involved, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, you know, and it follows the basic rubrics of Matthew eighteen. You know the you know you have the individual, the son in this case, who's being unruly. Well, the parents go to him and say, "Hey, knock it off! You know mm-hmm. this is not how you behave. It's not how you act. You know you're you're being disrespectful. You're being you know you're striking us. That kind of thing." Well, then we see right if they bring somebody else in, you know, to to speak to the man, and if he refuses, well, it moves on to the elders in the gates who adjudicate the matter and take care of it and and rule on it. Well. You know, in the New Testament, when it comes to Matthew 18, we see the exact same process, right? We see, you know, a brother in Christ who's in error. Uh, another brother comes alongside. Uh, then he brings another brother, right? two or three witnesses, and then they bring them to the church. Well, in a Presbyterian form of government, we understand that the elders are the church, right? They are the uh, representatives. Uh, they are the ruling body, you know, of the local church. So there's a continuity. Uh, from the old uh, to the new. And you know, if there's going to be order in the old covenant, right, it just logically makes sense. There's going to be order in the new covenant. Yeah, and we see, you know, and you don't have to go all the way to Acts 15 to see the church being organized in mm-hmm. the, you know, in the new Testament. You know, at the very beginning of the book of Acts, you know, when, when, you know, Peter's preaching, at Pentecost, and all these thousands of people are coming to faith. Well, they have to be baptized into something. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're just not being baptized into thin air. <laughs> and right. you know, so you know, w- you know, while they may be mission churches or church plants or however you want to phrase that, you know, there there was still this understanding of commonality within uh, the Christian church in Acts chapter two. Right? They come together. Right? They break bread. You know, they share all things in common, you know, and they're not setting up, you know, some kind of socialistic or, you know, communistic, you know, um, you know, collective right. in Acts 2, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yes, they are fulfilling the basic law of love uh, towards brothers, right? They're providing for one another, you know, which, of course, leads into Acts chapter 6 and, you know, a need to mm-hmm. help these poor Gentile widows who are getting taken advantage of. And the apostles who you know are, are have been tasked to preach and to teach and uh, to do uh, you know, the ministry of the word and sacrament, right? They don't have time, and it's also not their call. Uh, so there's an establishment of the diaconal office, and even the established diaconal office is not creating something out of whole cloth, right? In you know in the old covenant, right? The the priests, uh, one of their responsibilities was to care for the widow and for the orphan and for those in need. Right? That, that was one of their responsibilities as those who kept the tithe. And so when this problem ar- arose in the New Testament church, you have you know, the, the deacons who kind of take over that role within the body of Christ, within the church, within the community of faith, and they're tasked with uh, taking care of the needs uh, of those within you know, the body. And and so, you know, when we think about the need for church government, right? You, you, it, it's a natural thing. It, it's a thing established 
from the very beginning by the Lord God and his covenant people. Mm-hmm. And it just again, it just naturally flows into the New Testament age. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, a lot of general evangelical churches don't teach this. And I don't know exactly the reason why. Even when you reference Matthew 18, we see, I believe, we see clearly a structure of church government. Um, a lot of times people will just quote, well, when two or three are gathered in my name, there I am also. You know, they'll, they'll say that when they're praying. And, yeah, in a sense, that's true, but that's not what the whole point of that text is. And the rest of that's not maybe not taught or maybe maybe not caught by the the general Christian these days. But what, what do you think is, you know, since we do see a lot of churches that don't have any structure of church government, what do you, what do you think are some of the dangers of not having a church government structure? Well, you know, the beauty of Presbyterianism is that no one person is in charge. You know, you know it, it's, you know, the, the, the big language is parody, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that even when we talk about the, you know, the presbytery or, you know, in the ARP case, the General Senate, in the OPC case, the General Assembly, you know, we don't understand that there's a vertical hierarchy within the Presbyterian, you know, form of government. You know, we understand that the presbytery and the General Senate or the General Assembly is an expansion of the local church. And right, so there's there's really more of, of a horizontal uh, mm-hmm. angle, uh, you know, and that's that's one of the things, of course, that makes us different from you know those of a, with an Episcopalian structure, right? Whether it be the Episcopalian Church or the Anglican Church or the or the Roman Catholic Church, where there's top down uh, you know autocracy, you know, we you so when you think about the beauty of biblical church government, right? We understand again that. You know, when you you go back and you look at Paul, for example, right? Paul never lords his position over the local church. Mm-hmm. Right? He never um, kind of comes in as the the pope or the the bishop, and you know, kind of overwhelms or you know, overthrows the local situation. Right? He always appeals to the elders uh, within that local church. You know, provides them you know, advice and consent and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, he, he places the responsibility, you know, to see that these, you know, traditions and these teachings are put into practice with the local, you know, elders. And, and you know, that's an important thing to remember about not just Presbyterianism, but, you know, one of the reasons why church government is so important. You know, I mean, I you could probably name about a, a you know, Ten dozen, you know, individual men in evangelical circles who have taken uh, a position within a local church and used it uh, not only for their own glory, uh, but have you know, you know, brought great scandal to the church uh, because you know there was no checks and balances, there was no uh, right understanding of you know, of his role within the local church. It was kind of, you know, my way or the highway. And that's not how it works in biblical church government. It's certainly not how it works in, in a Presbyterian form of government. Yeah, I think it's one of the things that, that sometimes people don't understand, uh, you know, about, you know, my position, for example, as the pastor, as the minister of local church, right? I'm not, you know, the, the man in charge. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
um, I serve at the pleasure of the elders in the congregation. Um, I'm, I'm a shepherd, yes. I'm, you know, the one given the authority to preach and to teach and to lead. Uh, but, you know, if the elders aren't on board with what I'm selling, I can't just go and do it anyway. Right. <laughs> that's that's a good way for me to become homeless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I think it's great to have checks and balances because like you were saying, yeah, there, there are way too many things that happen when there's just that one guy that's leading and everybody looks to that guy. And then what happens even, even if that, that one guy does a great job, then all of a sudden he's not there. Right. Then, then then your, your church falls apart or you, you just have members that are coming to the church just to see that one guy. And that that's not good, but it's, Mm -hmm. it's good to have, the pastor and the session. And like you're saying, when decisions come up, it's not just one guy making decisions. And even then some decisions are depending on how the other structures are set up or have to go to a vote from the congregation, you know, so there, there's those checks and balances. So yeah. And it's not, I used to think that it was more of a top down structure before I actually learned the, the structure of the Presbyterian church. And it makes so much sense. And it, it's, it's, it's not perfect. You know, there's the still, mistakes that are made because we're still sinners saved by the grace of God. So there's going to be mistakes that are made. But one thing I, I like, and some people may not is, is that things are, are, if there's issues that come up, it sometimes it takes a, a process to, <laughs> to get through it, you know, right. so it's not a quick decision. Things are prayed over and, and talked over. So it's not just one snap decision. And again, it's not perfect, but, it's kind of, you know, those checks and balances, we can see that that's how our, the government of this country was supposed to be <laughs> at one point is set up right. to have checks and balances. Is it as, as, is it that way now, or was it ever perfect? No, but we can see it's not a, a King that's in charge of everything. It's not a Pope that's making all these decisions with the final decision. So I see it as, as the, as I read and study the scriptures as what's set up in the scriptures by God, by Christ, how to govern his church. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's a beautiful thing to see in the scriptures and that I'm sure that's why you're convinced that it's the form of church government that, that is the most biblical. Yeah, well, you know, sometimes, you know, you, you bring up the, you know, it's not perfect. And, you know, growing up in the PCUS and in the PCUSA, you know, one of the things, you know, looking back that, you know, I can see that went wrong in the PCUSA, for example, was the weakening of uh, the very church structures that are meant to protect uh, the local church from mm-hmm. the denomination. Um, you know, one of the things that you know I, struck me as odd when I first became ARP is that we didn't have a, what we call the PCUSA executive president. Um, you know, in the PCUSA, you know, presbyteries have paid staff at the presbytery level. Hmm. And so they have this person who's called an executive president. Um, in our form of government, we would call them stated clerks or principal clerks, but they actually have more power than that. You know, they can actually direct local churches to do certain things. Uh, hmm. It's really a bishop-like structure. Uh, you know, but, you know, they call themselves Presbyterians. All right. And then if you go to a you know, a PCSA church, they're going to have deacons, they're going to have elders, right? They're going to have Mr. Word of Sacrament. It's mm-hmm. going to look on the surface to be similar, 
But once you pull things back and really, you know, look behind the curtain and see how things are actually running, you know, it's far more Episcopal in, in, in work. And so that's one of the reasons why, you know, it was so easy uh, for the liberals to take over so quickly in, in the PCUSA is because the kind of pure, uh, undefiled Presbyterianism uh, had been uh, merged uh, with kind of an Episcopalian structure. And, you know, one of the things I also saw in the midst of that is that there was an attempt by the conservative churches uh, to act as if the presbytery didn't exist. And so they kind of tried to functionally act like congregationalists. Mm. Uh, they would they, they would, you know, take the PCUSA symbol off their stuff and things. Uh, and so the PCUSA became kind of this weird amalgamation. Uh, I, I used to call it Episco Congratarian. Uh, and. uh one of the things about that is it helped me to see that you know, the problem in the PCUSA wasn't Presbyterianism. <laughs> the problem mm-hmm. was that Presbyterianism had been abandoned yeah. for pragmatic church structure, um, which, again, had allowed you know, so much of what we now associate with PCUSA uh, to come to pass. And, of course, that's kind of what you know, Machen found out in the 20s. You know, as he was in conversation about the Board of Foreign Missions and all the stuff going on there, that, you know, the top heavy board structures uh, had basically formed almost like a shadow government within the denomination. And it and it, it made pushback against, uh, you know, some of the, you know, the, the modernism that Machen faced, you know, extremely difficult to root out. And, I mean, that's one of the reasons, of course, that, Machen was eventually, um, you know, excommunicated and, you know, removed and, um, you know, formed the OPC. And, you know, that's, you know, one of the things you can always tell about a nomination is how they were formed, you know, their DNA. And it's one of the things I love about the OPC is how Presbyterian they are. <laughs> they are, they are uh, uh, you know, you know, consciously Presbyterian. Uh, primarily because of what they, you know, dealt with. You know, one of the things I'm sure you've probably seen at an OPC uh, presbytery meeting is uh, the OPC is known for never calling the question. Uh, you know, and for those of you all who may not be familiar with uh, Robert's Rules of Order, uh, calling the question ends debate. Uh, if somebody calls the question, um, you know, there's an immediate vote. And if it passes, well, then discussion's over. And you vote on whatever motions on the floor. Well, the OPC is well known for never calling the question. And the reason for that is, is because that's how uh, Machen and, and those guys were shut down, was they were not allowed to debate things on the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, I get made fun of in the ARP uh, because whenever somebody calls the question, I always vote no. <laughs> because, <laughs> um, you know, I just... I don't like the idea of squelching a yeah. debate, even if it's getting redundant, even if it's losing steam, even if guys are just getting up to hear themselves speak. Um, I'd much rather do that uh, than not be able to talk about stuff. So, yeah. you know, that's, you know, you know so when, again, when you talk about some of the limitations of Presbyterianism, you know, as, as long as you uh, keep the parody you know, between the elders and the ministers, as long as 
you know, the structures of the presbytery and the Senate or General Assembly are are, are kept away from bureaucracy, uh, then you're you're going to you know do pretty well uh, with Presbyterianism. Where can the uh, listeners go? First off, in the scriptures to see this this form of government, and then outside the scriptures, where what what kind of resources books would you recommend? Sure. Well, you know, I, as I kind of uh, intimated earlier, you you can really go back to the Old Testament, mm-hmm. and you you see the offices in their kind of seed form. Um, you know, that, you know, you think about how the Apostle Paul. Uh, refers to the the Jewish church as a church under age. Mm. Right? So, you know, it, you know the structures are there but they're not quite uh, fully formed yet. So you have, you know, the three offices. And I you know I happen to be a, a, a someone who believes in in the three office, you know, minister, elder, and deacon as opposed to the two office which right. you know you'll hear teaching elder and ruling elder, you know, being one office with two different functions and then deacon being the second office. But like I said, I'm I'm a proponent of the three office view, and I, I think you can see that in in the Old Testament, in that church under age, where you have prophets right, who have been given responsibility to preach and to teach and to um, you know reveal the will of God to the people. You, know, you have Levites, you know, the priests who are tasked with you know uh, helping out you know the uh, you know you know, folks with their needs, like we talked about, mm-hmm. and then we also in the Old Testament, you know, that there are, you know, governors, you know, the, you know, the elders in the gates, um, you, know, you, you know, one particular incident, um, if you want to think of it that way, is in the book of Ruth. You remember, you know, Ruth, after she gets, uh, comes with Naomi to the land, you know, is seeking that kinsman redeemer. Well, you know, they go to the elders in the gates to find out who that is. Naomi's pretty sure uh, that it's Boaz, but it turns out right, that there's another fellow who's in between, um, you know, the the son who died and Boaz. And right, the elders have to adjudicate that, and they have to bring the guy forward. They have to follow the procedures, the rules of uh, of church government. And when he declines, right, she you know, you know shames him, and and then you know Boaz is free to be her kinsman redeemer. And so we see, like I said, pictures of it uh, in the Old Testament. But when we get into the New Testament, right, you, you start seeing, especially in the book of Acts, as the churches are starting to be established in places like Ephesus, uh, for instance, in Acts chapter 20, right, you hear the, the conversation that Paul has with the elders of the church in Ephesus. Uh, and then you, you see things like, you know, uh, Paul's words to Timothy uh, that uh, he uh, be reminded that he had uh, hands laid on him by the presbytery, right, by elders who had gathered together for this purpose. And you also see something else in the New Testament. You know, this understanding, for instance, the church in Jerusalem. Right? We understand that there wasn't just one singular mega church in, in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Where we're told that they meet in homes, that they meet together, and there was already an existing structure with the synagogues in you know, you know Jewish life, where there would be multiple synagogues in a city, and you, you so the again the the seed forms were already there, 
And so when you hear the church at Jerusalem, right, you know that by good necessary consequence, uh, by logical deduction, that there's more than one congregation. And so when the letters go to Jer the church in Jerusalem, right, we can understand that, that it's going to the presbytery in Jerusalem. And it's passed down uh, from the Acts 15 General Synod, right, or General Assembly, mm -hmm. uh, and you know, you know, brought back to the churches, wherever they might be. Right? And this, this plan of action and of how to deal with the Gentiles is put into place right? after it's been approved by this plurality of elders and ministers who had met uh, there at the first uh, general synod. And where, like, if they want to, our listeners want to learn more, what, is there any books you would recommend? Well, probably the, the, the best um, introduction, um, you know, without, you know, kind of uh, drinking straight out the fire hose, mm -hmm. is, uh, uh, you know, Guy Prentice Waters' book, How Jesus Runs the Church. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a good you know, introduction to, you know, again, the basics of, um, you know, your church government and how, you know, the church is organized and the like, especially in a Presbyterian context, um, in, you know, the basics of the, of the faith series, you know, those little 10 to 15, you know, page uh, books that PNR uh, puts out. There's one on Presbyterian government that's a good introduction. Uh, but if you're wanting to get something with a little bit more meat on it, um, you know, I highly recommend uh, Thomas Witherow's uh, book, The Apostolic Church, which isn't. Um, now, that book's recently been reprinted uh, in a collection. Um, and uh, you can, uh, you know, purchase it on Amazon or from, uh, you know, Greenville Presbyterian Seminary or I'm sure Westminster Seminary Bookstore has it. And uh, it's. Uh, brought in with, you know, a couple other things Thomas Withrow wrote. But that's a good place to go. But I mean, if you're really wanting to, you know, get in the deep end of the pool, uh, you can't do better uh, than James Bannerman's uh, The Church of Christ. Hmm. And the beauty of James Bannerman's Church of Christ is that it, it's kind of almost like a systematic theology of the church. He, you know, goes through kind of basic definitions of church government, of how the church interacts with each other, and also how the church interacts with the state, you know, and the relationship between church and state and the like. Um, you know, Banner Truth just came out with a brand new edition of it uh, that's in a single volume. Uh, but uh, you can, I'm sure, find the older two-volume set, uh, you know, wandering around the Internet at places. Uh, yeah, but those are... Those are a few options. There's there, there's quite a bit out there, but those are some good places to start. Good. I'm, I'm glad that you gave that list, and, and I want my Baptist listeners to go and, and first go to the scriptures, dig in, and then also read those books, at least so you can understand. That's something I needed to do when I came into the Presbyterian church is try to understand, and now I can't unsee th certain things that I've, I've seen, you know, <laughs> pedo-baptism and, and church government. I just can't unsee them. But one thing that we can unite with our, our brothers and sisters in Christ that that have a different view of church government, that we can unite over the gospel, over that we are saved by grace in Christ alone. Would you mind sharing with our listeners that beautiful gospel that we are united over? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I mentioned before that, you know, I was you know baptized as an infant 
uh, in a Presbyterian church. I was raised in the faith by those uh, by, by godly parents um, who who did everything who did everything correct, like did everything that they were supposed to do. You know, they, uh, you know, I wasn't catechized in in the sense that we understand that now, but you know, it wasn't until you know I really came to understand my unworthiness uh, before a righteous and holy God uh, that I came to really see my need for the Lord Jesus Christ. And and one of the things about seeing that need is you in hearing you know, the the offer of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I mean, I remember as I was listening to um, uh, listening to uh, um, <laughs> to Ian Paisley as he's preaching and he's talking about the love of Christ and the, uh, and the love of, and the depth of the grace of Christ and, and these things. And I kept wondering, well, why do I need grace? Why, why do I need uh, this gift uh, from the Lord Jesus? You know, I was baptized, you know, I go to church and I do all these things. Well, you know, when we think about what we do, right, we, when we think about what it is that we uh, have done, and we start comparing our uh, supposedly good works with those bad works we've done, those sins we've committed, those, uh, those sins that we have transgressed for holy and righteous God, we, we come to see again that no, we can't do enough to counter, counterweight uh, those wicked things that we have done. And as we think upon that, we are reminded that the beauty of the gospel is, is it's not up to us to do. It's up to us to receive mm. what has been done for us by the Lord Jesus Christ uh, through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection, and through uh, the grant of faith in which we have received from above. You know, you know John 10, 28 through 30 is always uh, you know, you know, dear unto my mind, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Mm. You know, if we believe, you know, if we mistakenly believe that you know, the Father is only a Father of wrath, and a Father of destruction, and a Father of, of, of who, who hates us because of our sin, we need to be reminded of John 3.16. It is the love of the Father and the sending of the Son uh, for the ungodly, uh, for those who have transgressed the law, for those who have committed grievous sins against God. It is for them God the Father has sent the Son uh, to lay down his life, that they might not just have their sins forgiven, but have the power of sin taken away uh, through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And, and every time I think about it, it's just, it's almost like I'm hearing it for the first time again. Right? Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's just such a balm uh, to the soul. Hmm. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, and I agree as you're, as you're saying it and like, this never gets old. It to, to the, to the believer, it never gets old. And that's what we have to hear on every Lord's day. Be reminded 
and it's it's just beautiful. And I, I I pray that those who might listen who aren't saved, who haven't realized the weight of their sin, that that you come to Christ, that that you listen to it, what what Pastor Ben has just said, and that that your hearts change, that you are born again. You must be born again and just receive the gift of salvation and righteousness, the righteousness that's not your own. Take that. It's, it's, it's offered right now. Take it. But pastor, I have one more question for you. This is, this is the fun question. I don't know if you looked it up. <laughs> I've been asking all my guests this and I keep saying I'm going to change it up, but, but uh, I like this question. It's, it's fun. Did you look up who Nicholas Kim Coppola is, or did you already know who he was? Well, One one of the things about growing up, P2SA, and then becoming ARP, is I never, I've never been a Baptist, and I've, <laughs> I've never been in dispensational circles. Um, <laughs> but you know, one of the things about growing up in the P2SA is that we're not really taught anything. So what's popular kind of becomes the norm uh, mm-hmm. for your Christianity, and so I, I did my due diligence as a young man and read the left behind books <laughs> and <laughs> um, saw both, you know, I, I guess there's more than two, but both uh, iterations of the left behind movies. Um, yeah. I certainly prefer the Nicholas cage version. Okay. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah. Yes. I am. I am familiar with uh, uh, Mr. Nicholas, Nic- Nicholas cage. Yes. So here's the question about Nicholas cage. So, and then, You've seen at least that movie, but mm-hmm. if a Nicolas Cage movie was real life, mm-hmm. what character would you want to be? Here's the catch. You can't be anybody that Nicolas Cage is playing. So a supporting role to Nicolas Cage. Who would you want to be? Um, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I pro- I don't- a part of me wants to say the baby from Raising Arizona. <laughs> um, <laughs> that baby was amazing. <laughs> All the things that happened to that baby. <laughs> oh, but but I I don't know. I, probably the easiest answer is John Travolta in Face Off. Nice. <laughs> that, that's, that, I think that's the first Face Off that I've had. I've had a few uh, National Treasures. One person mm-hmm. wanted to be Riley. One person wanted to be uh, the Harvey Keitel character. Mm-hmm. I had uh, uh, I asked this to Pat Abendroth. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He does the, yeah. the pact, mm-hmm. uh, and and he asked me. This is the funniest one. He said, "Was was he in Snakes on a Plane? Because I want to be one of the snakes." But <laughs> 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 <And I> was... <laughs> well, he was in a different plane movie. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I don't think I don't think he was yeah. in that. that I, movie. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah so it's been, i've been having fun with the the nicholas cage question and he actually has a a movie coming out where he's actually playing himself so that <laughs> oh really <laughs> yeah oh, man. it I'm looks it looks very yeah very interesting uh but but uh pastor Gla- pastor glasser <laughs> almost said glazer pastor That's glasser <laughs> i want to uh, thank you again for 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 taking the time to come on i i believe uh what we discussed tonight is, is important. It's, it's something that Christians should discuss and, and know about church government and why God has placed it there for us. Uh, where can, where can people find you if, the, if you want them to, to follow you? Sure. Right? I mean, you know, on Twitter, I'm at WV Pitt, uh, P I T T. 
Um, and then, of course, you know, you can find us on the Internet at www.bethanyarp.org. And, um, you know, always feel free to give me a holler. Uh, I'm pretty much an open book and all that good stuff. So I'll talk to anybody about anything. Awesome. Well, thanks again for coming on, even though you're a Pittsburgh Pirates fan and I'm a New York <laughs> Mets fan. But it's it's early in the season, so a lot of oh, things yeah. a lot of things. Well, I'm pretty sure happen. we lost tonight, so. <laughs> well, the Mets won. They're actually doing pretty good, but uh, I never get my hopes up with uh, with my baseball team, especially the Mets. Well, somebody's going to get hurt. Yeah. Yeah. That's, well, yeah. <laughs> I'll I, I was wrong. The Pirates are winning. All right. Uh, they're four to three in the bottom of the sixth. There you the go. Cubs. There you go. <laughs> A division rival. Well, I want to thank everybody for, for listening. You can always check us out at uh, Christian Podcast Community, Christian Podcast Community dot org also on twitter but the happy presbyterian until next time i pray you continue to seek the kingdom of god and find out what we are even doing here grace and peace drive safe what did i say